welcome, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, um, Happy New Year. Um, did I include everything? Uh, probably not, but I think you, I think I, you got a lot. I apologize if I miss anything. I'm going to do a happy holiday, happy December, happy um, end of the year, um, sort of uh, take a breath, which is what I think we're going to do today together. That sounds like a great idea to me. How was your holiday, Meg? It was fantastic. It was really great. It's still going on. What's today? Today's the uh, 28th. It's great when you're not sure what day of the week it is. It's Thursday. It is the 28th. I wasn't sure about what day of the month it was, but I do know that it was Thursday. Right. And this is a great, this is a great week for everyone, and I think especially lawyers. So you did not have court this week, correct? I did have one court oh, hearing did. on Tuesday oh. virtually. I was mm -hmm. in the car with my four kids. We took a trip to New York just to get pizza at a at a pizza place that we like. And nice. uh, it popped up on my phone that I had court. And um, I logged on and I said to the judge, I'm in the car with my four kids. I'm not ready. I need a new date. Okay. And, uh, and that so, was, uh, that worked for that judge? It did. I mean, I think that part of the having a good relationship, being prepared, being respected as an attorney who doesn't, you know, blow off court, who doesn't respond, that they give you the benefit when something like that happens. I mean, mm -hmm. I, was it, can I ask, was it a female judge or a male judge? It was a male judge. Okay. All right. Do Good. you think well, it matters? Tell me, honestly. No, no. I was just going to segue into talking about female judges, and I was just really just curious if well, that what would do be you a good segue, <laughs> but I guess it isn't. Yeah, no, I mean, um, you're out of the criminal practice now, which we're going to talk about. Um, I am. And I do want to talk about the women judges, but um, I'm going to I'm going to ask the personal questions because, yeah. you know, Mighty Merp is all about, you know, it, it is about the law and it's about uh, female ownership and leadership. But, you know, within that, for many of us, includes mom, being a mom, dealing with our kids. Um, mm -hmm. holiday pressures of, uh, you know, making sure that the holidays are what our kids want it to be. So um, is it good having your kids back home? Are they like, you know, is it a good feeling to have everyone back it's in the it's house? Always, it is. It's always a good feeling. Um, I mean, my oldest is not too far away, um, but it's always nice to have everybody home and around. And, you know, both of them are off from school this week, which is great in a lot of ways it's you know it's a little little hectic a little different but it's all good it's very it's very good um how about you same i'm always so mm -hmm. excited that they're all home and um mm -hmm. my kids are only four years apart from the oldest to the youngest and you know i have twins in the middle so there's four four mm -hmm. years apart and when they were little they got along really well and then during their teenage years it was like constant of butting heads and they're they're they all get along so well now and it's so much fun to watch their uh interactions as young adults and and really so close again um 
so I well, and I got have... to see I got to see two of your kids last week at the holiday party at your holiday party, and that was really neat to see them in like get... a, out in a working environment. It's 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 kind of neat, right? Right. It's nice seeing the young people that they have become and how they really are so there for each other. I I will say I don't know if other moms have this. I am so excited to see my kids and. Then, you know, they've been home now for about two plus weeks and the ones that aren't working and the ones that are like sleeping half the day and staying up till two in the morning, there is a part of me that's like, I love you, but I'm going to kill you if you don't start going to bed at a normal time and waking up at a normal time and helping out like a normal adult, you know, and and waking you up because they can't get in the house, which I won't. I'll let you tell that story if you want, but yeah, but it's all good, right? I mean, and I think, I do think that this is obviously a great week to kind of reset um, and recap. And there's, there's generally speaking, not uh, a lot going on, whether in court or out of court. So it's just a nice, it's a nice week to be, to be at home. And like you said, to get to see everyone coming and going. Right. Well, there's no professionally urgency other than for my clients that might be detained within the last mm-hmm. 24 hours. But for all my other clients, it is, there's no urgency to get anything done because the courts are closed. And so right. well, from, a, yeah. from a professional standpoint, it does give us a ability to breathe a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But the criminal so, justice system keeps going. It does. I was at the jail today. So. Really? Oh, mm. A bad time of the year to... It is is hard. It is hard. So um, talking about sort of the end of the year and reflection. um, So, you know, I have like two different avenues I can go with you and so many (laughs) topics listed in front of me. So um, let's let's talk professionally a little. So 2023 highlights professionally professionally for you. Well, For me, the highlight is that I've closed my law firm, which, you know, is not a a mystery. I did talk about that, I think, on an earlier podcast of mine. Um, But I did uh, accept and begin a new job at Cumberland Mutual in their legal department, which was, you know, a a, a very wonderful opportunity. It was a surprise. It was um, obviously a giant shift for me. Uh, But I made that decision at the beginning of the year. And I transitioned part-time there in, uh, at the end of February and then full-time in June. So I have been there full-time uh, since June and I've um, kind of wound down all my cases, which is, it, you know, it, it's, a, it was, it's a big undertaking. I'll just say that. And I'm sure anyone who's listening that has um, done that, on, you know, basically shut down a law practice, it's, it's definitely a lot. Um, right. But and just was, so we're clear, I don't mean to interrupt you. I mean, we have talked, I've talked on your podcast, you've talked on my podcast. I think for the most part, people who listen to Mighty Merck probably listen to your podcast too. But um, for those of you who don't know, Meg was a criminal defense attorney with a private practice that I would say was very similar to mine, very high volume. Um, all defense work, former prosecutor and district attorney, and your right. your law firm was uh, six years, six so or seven years. The sixth sixth year this year, and 
you know, we've, we um, talked about my biography for a very long time on one of your earlier podcasts, so I won't bore right. everyone with those details. But um, I, I think my, my practice was very successful. I had expanded it into my hometown. Um, and then I was given an opportunity to make a giant change. And you know, I, I took it and I'm extremely grateful. I love what I'm doing. Um, it's completely different from anything I've ever done before. Um, there's a lot of challenges because basically, you know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of background in the insurance field. Um, so it got, you know, when I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about how that's the neat thing about being a lawyer is that you get to have different opportunities. And I think it's a great thing to be able to know when to, uh, to make that change, to accept those um, opportunities and kind of go with them. And so, you know, knock on wood, everything's been going great. Um, and uh, I hope that I can finish out my whole career uh, in this role. Um, but I was talking to an intern that I had last summer. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk to you about today was this idea of, you know, mentoring younger people. Um, and I was thinking about it when you were talking a few minutes ago about you have your daughter working with you in your firm. You have your son who is he working part-time with your firm so is that right yeah or he did so, um, he in the summer and so, so basically i mean i'll let you get in you know i'll let you talk about that if you want but yeah. the this idea of mentoring people i think is a really great thing um and so i i've stayed in touch with grace gleason who i'm just going to put her name out there because she was probably i've i've had a lot of interns you know as a former prosecutor um and Grace was my intern in the summer of 2022. Um, and she's a rock star. She's going to do great, whatever she decides to do. She's an undergrad. Um, she is an ROTC, which is what made her resume kind of jump out at me. And um, she interned for me that year. She interned at the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office this past summer. And so we stayed in touch and we were talking about all the different, when we had coffee the other day, and we we're talking about, you know, all the different things that you can do with a law degree, whether it's practice law or not practice law, whether it's teach, whether it's, you know, work in a governmental agency, work in private practice, work for a company in-house, um, go on the bench. There's so many different avenues or, or not, you know, one of the, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, she could go into a federal job, um, because of her background. So, you know, but this idea of, of, not necessarily pigeonholing yourself into to one area, I think is such a great thing. Right. And I think it's a really great thing um, for a, a woman, right? You've got children, I've got children. There are so many different things that you can do with the area of law. Right. And that got me thinking about when you asked me to talk today, I was like, well, what do you want to talk about? I haven't really quite candidly kept up with a lot of the, the more recent cases. I know there's a couple cases that you want to touch upon today. And it wouldn't be a Megan Melissa show unless we talked about a case and, well, you know, yeah, got, and then was got a part into of the nitty gritty of a granular case know, and drive. But you know, I was going to say, listening. we don't even have to do that because the whole conversation of mentoring and, you know, when, when I reached out to you, um, mm -hmm. I jokingly kept texting pivot, pivot, right. pivot, right. Um, 
if anyone well, knows. Well, I, I did know this. There's, a, there's a one word to describe my year. It was I, I pivoted. And I'm very grateful and, and um, happy to have that best opportunity. Um, right. But, and, but we were talking about the highlights of the year. And I, I said, I do want to speak about um, the death of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So I don't want to I don't want to lose sight of that because that got me thinking about um, teaching and another we're, whole other thing. We're gonna but we're, we're gonna, gonna hit go all, all of place. it. Okay, I know. But one and and one of the things that um, I did years and years ago when I was in Philadelphia was teach uh, women and the law. It was like a history of women and the law at Chestnut Hill College. And um, at the time, I met a woman, her name is Elizabeth Vrado, and she wrote a book in 2002, right? So 2002, 002, mm -hmm. so over 20 years ago, called Counselors. And it was a book that I, you know, that I loved because I, I knew her when she was writing it. She was at one of the big law firms in um, Philadelphia. Um, and she basically decided to, to um, interview uh, women that had been the recipients at, at that point in time of the American Bar Association's Margaret Brent Award. Margaret Brent was the first lawyer. So Elizabeth Rado kind of traveled around the entire country interviewing um, women lawyers that had been the recipient of this award. She got Bill Clinton to write the foreword. Um, one of the people she interviewed was Sandra Day O'Connor, Justice O'Connor. And the book here, I have the book here, mm -hmm. um, is um, one that I really loved. I've kept it all these years. Actually, um, anytime I worked with another woman lawyer, I would give her a copy of this book. I had like a box of them. And I gave out these books. And I don't think I've ever given one to you. So I have one for you. I was going um, to say, did you to give you. one to Grace? And I have not given one to Grace, but a Grace Gleason, if you're listening, I got a book okay. for you. So, um, but what's really neat is so so basically I was reading the four because I hadn't looked at this book in a long time, but uh -huh. I, was, I was in the shower thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about and kind of tying all these themes together. And in the foreword of the book, Elizabeth Rado talks about um, how this isn't a book about the law. It isn't a book about even women lawyers. It's a book about mentor mentoring and mentorship. And so, you know, it's just kind of it's just kind of neat to think about um, when I reflect on the year and when I reflect on my career to date, um, you know, if there's anything, if there's any takeaway that I'd like to talk about, it's just that idea of being able to transition to do different things to, but most importantly, to mentor those that are kind of coming up behind us. So I think that's really important. So right. I throw a lot out at you. I know, I know. Uh, I let you get that nice rhythm in though. So what I was going <laughs> to say is, um, you know, on the same line of mentoring, you know, when I talk to young women, no matter what their careers are and what their professions are and where they are, meaning that they might be just graduating college or thinking about what their future is, is that um, I talk about the importance of knowing that this career life generally is a marathon. There's no way to, you know, there's no a timeline of when you can hit your goals or achieve whatever it is. You don't you don't get a bigger gold watch or prize if you get there at 30 versus 40. Um, I also um, 
in hindsight, looking at my career, um, I always say that um, there are times where your career, you might be moving full speed ahead because you might not have children or other obligations. And it's okay to tap on the brakes at times when uh, other things come into play, whether it's caregiving for family or taking care of your children or just needing a mental health break for yourself because uh, maybe you're not loving what you're doing professionally um, and that it's okay to pivot. Young attorneys, what I know about lawyers, and I've said it multiple times on the podcast, is that when people get stuck in an area of law that they don't love, they don't love being lawyers. They end up resenting being lawyers um, and they can't they don't feel like they can leave the profession because they're so obligated to the salary, you know, they need the the money. So when I have young attorneys say to me, I'm not happy with the practice area of law that I'm in, my first comment is switch areas of law, switch now. Um, I know that's not your situation. You're, you, you believed you loved what you were doing criminally. Um, you love teaching criminal law. You love getting into the nuances of the case. But our job is really, really hard with um, the grind, the, um, the amount of work, our clients handling it. And then you had this opportunity that came into place. But so what uh, all that I'm saying in a very roundabout way is that, um, you know, when I'm working with young professional women, I say to them, it's okay to pivot. It's okay to put the brakes on your career. I was a public defender and I loved being an attorney. And then I, you know, I was asked if I was going to go back to work after my first child and I was insulted and offended. I thought I have a law degree. Of course, I'm coming back to work. You know, I've worked really hard for it. And then I had twins and they're only two years apart and I went part time. And then I had uh, my youngest, uh, less than two years later. And it didn't make sense for me to work as a lawyer. And you know, I taught for a number of years at Rowan in their law and justice department, and that was a good balance. Um, and then I went back to work when my youngest went to school. And what I would say is, is that I tapped on the brakes. I thought I was going to leave the profession for a little bit. I came back, I fell in love again with being a lawyer. And I would tell people that um, all my true successes in my professional life actually came years later, not in my 20s and not in my 30s. But when I came back the second time, which I was in my late 30s, almost 40 at the time. Um, and that's when I was able to really focus on my career. So there's not one roadmap. And I think... Um, and again, not all women want to be moms and have kids, but the women that do want to have it all, it's realizing that um, it's okay at different times to focus on different areas where there are times I've focused. I mean, my kids are all in college, so I can focus on my career now and have been able to do that for a number of years. But there was a time when my kids were all at home and they were my focus. And so my career was um, moving at a much slower you know, uh, focus. I taught, um, I stayed in the law because I loved being in there and learning and studying cases, but I wasn't trying cases. And so 
long roundabout way of saying you can be successful lots of different ways. Uh, and and uh, it's not a one size fits all. With that being yeah. said, I think the one thing we both came back to in all of it is um, the idea that we both love teaching. And well, and I was just, uh, you're, you read my mind because a couple of takeaways from what you said. First of all, there's no job that you're going to love all the time, right? Yeah. So if, if, a, if a young person is unhappy, that may just be something they need to shift in, in how they're doing, what they're doing, or the particular, you know, department or field that they're in within the organization that they're in. So that's, that's kind of number one. Number two you may like what you're doing and be presented with an opportunity to change it. And you're going to have to make a decision about whether or not you want to do that. I mean, I really didn't have a, a plan to close my practice, but I was presented with an opportunity and I, and I took it. And, um, I, I think that's, you have to kind of know when to was pull it scary? Trigger. Was very. it scary? Yeah, very. I mean, I think all the changes that I, that anytime you make change, I mean, change for me in general is scary, but I think anytime that you make change it's it's scary but i also think too like one of the things that i was that i've noticed is that oftentimes young attorneys and this kind of goes for for men or women but i i noticed it with women too is that um, particularly in the courtroom you may see someone um uh with a lot of bravado because they saw someone else that that worked for and they try to, they, they thought they're supposed to be, um, again, whether it's, you know, not picking on prosecutors or defense attorneys, either one, I've seen this on both sides of the aisle, um, but think that they have to be something that they're not. And so I think the, the most effective lawyer, again, whether it's this is in the courtroom, whether it's out of the courtroom, regardless of what type of organization that you work for, I would say that it's really important to be yourself and not try to be something yeah. else, right? Not try to look like someone else or dress like someone else or talk like someone else. Um, be, figure out who you are and be genuine um, when you're interacting with other attorneys around you, whether they're and within your own organization too. or whether they're, you know, your adversary, just be yourself. So that's, that's like really kind of number one. And that, that in and of itself, takes a long time to figure out right because what I when I talk to young attorneys I say it's okay to watch all these different styles and try to figure out what works with your style and what you're comfortable with um, I always use a trial that I had with Mario Formica who um, was he might have been a chief at the time um, at the Atlanta County Prosecutor's Office. Shout out to Mario. I was just going to um, say, I hope he's enjoying his retirement. Me too. But uh, one of the last trials he had uh, uh, was again, or one of the last trials he did, I was the opposing counsel, and it was a, a robbery, a gunpoint robbery. And um, if you, if someone has never seen Mario and you live in our area, you really missed like he was a sight to see in the courtroom. His energy level was amazing. Um, you could see how passionate it was, but he would like, you know, talk with his hands and, you know, at times have his hands in his hair and like pull, you know, like just, you know, so uh, energetic and like passionate about his case. 
And I loved watching him, but it's not me in the courtroom. I could never pull it off. And, mm-hmm. and so, but I think when you're young, you're not really sure what your style is. I was not young at that point. I could appreciate watching it and know that my style with the jury is the same style as when I'm teaching a classroom. I talk to the jury like they're a class of my students. I talk to my students the same way and that I'm, you know, teaching them um, in a way that they're going to realize that uh, my position is the correct position and my client's not guilty. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I, so- I think we're, we are very different in a lot of ways, you and I, but I think we're very similar when it comes to that because that, that, that is how I would present a case. Um, as well. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, the style in the courtroom, some some lawyers are just really fun to watch because of um, maybe they, they aren't self-conscious and they're able to express themselves in a way that's authentic to them. And that's right. super important. The yeah. other thing, though, that you mentioned that I was thinking about was um, I think that it's okay to ask a lot of questions and to not have all of the answers. I, I've learned that it's taken me a long time to learn as a lawyer um, because I think young lawyers feel like that's their job is to have an answer. And it doesn't really matter necessarily if it's correct, as long as you have a strong point and you're arguing it. I have learned to really question a lot of things, and particularly like in my new role, I've, I've asked a lot of questions and I've felt comfortable doing that. Um, and I think that's what really makes you a good lawyer. Even when you're, even, you know, when you're arguing before a judge, there's many times where I would say, you know, candidly, your honor, here's what your, your honor has to decide. Here's what the law says, you know? And so being able to be okay with uncertainty, be able to go to a colleague or a supervisor and ask a question or um, or raise an issue that's kind of in the back of your mind. It's like, I don't know, this isn't really making sense to me. This is bothering me. Let's flesh it out and be able to kind of like get down into that real granular That's discussion. when I say, that's when I say we have to go down the rabbit hole together, right? I'm well, like, right. And, and that's, I, I mean, I had missed that about um, being at the prosecutor's office because as you know, I was a prosecutor for a very long time. And we often in the office would have these debates, because no lawyer can agree about anything, I bet about what a, what a new law meant or a new case meant or what a decision, what decision might, you know, come down on a particular issue. And, and you and I have done that a lot. Um, and I think that's really important for, for young lawyers to be able to learn um, is the ability to not know the answer, but know that there are questions that need to be answered, right? if that makes sense. So, and that's the teaching. I mean, that's the, I think that's where we come back to this idea of the importance of teaching and learning. Yeah. So, um, we were talking and you mentioned it, um, a few times about sort of the highlights of 2023 or things that have impacted us. And so, um, let's talk about Sandra Day O'Connor and the impact that, um, her legacy has. Um, I don't know, you know, she she was appointed to the Supreme Court, I'm sure you know, in 1981. I was trying I, to do the math Ronald on how Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, and I, I did confirm that because I wanted to make sure that I was right. She, she sat on the bench of the Supreme Court from 81 to 2006. Um, so how old was she when she was appointed in her 50s? She was born in 1930. So she was 51, which is that's, younger. I mean, when you think about younger that, than both of us at this point. really movie. impressive. Yes. And so I don't, you know, I know I was too young when she was appointed to have any feelings um, about the appointments other than any time that there was a woman being a first. I know for me, there was an excitement. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I really understood disparity like I do now, you know, but um, there was this this understanding that um, that there were these firsts occurring. I mean, it sounds corny, but I played soccer and my age group was the first time that there was a woman's traveling soccer team in the town. It was like a big deal, you right. know? And now that, I mean, how many years ago was that? And Right, so that was right. around- The changes 80, that have occurred. That was around 83 or so, 82, 83, so. Um, right around when she was appointed. Yes, so. Yeah. Um, you know, and she was appointed by a, you know, Republican president. And she was considered conservative, a conservative uh, woman. She jurist. was. She was always a moderate conservative. Um, and and I, I doubt we're going to get into a lot of her court decisions. But I just know from from having taught um, at Rowan, we reviewed a lot of her cases. And she was always kind of that swing vote. She was. And, mm -hmm. and uh, as much as she was conservative, she was uh, very pro-woman and pro-woman autonomy. I mean, she, I think, has a famous quote regarding uh, women must and need to have control of their reproductive rights to have any advancement in their, uh, in their independence. And, and I think that that, you know, uh, was probably considered, uh, you know, um, very forward thinking at the time. So right, uh, I was looking at the article um, in the book that I mentioned a few minutes ago, the counselor's book, mm -hmm. and um, when she she was interviewed specifically about uh, how things had changed up until that point. This book was written in two thousand and two, which so she was still uh, on the bench. And one of the quotes that um, is in this particular article is that's contained within this book is that even in my own lifetime and in my own life. I have witnessed uh, a revolution, um, touching upon the fact that, you know, at the point in time, you know, when her grandmother was uh, alive, her grandmother was alive, women couldn't even vote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and so that that was the kind of the gist of the discussion um, in this particular piece. But uh, did you, when you when um, see her speak at? Um Stockton now and I was gonna I wanted to mention that I was supposed to go to that that was in 2014 that she spoke at Stockton and I was supposed to go with Michelle DeWeese um, we had both registered it might have been another person that was supposed to go with us too I'm not 100% sure my kids were a lot younger then so um, my youngest was five or six um, and my oldest was um, 11. And um, I can't even remember what was what was going on that day. 
but I canceled at the last minute and I've always regretted not hearing her speak. Did you go? I did. I How, did. Tell, what, do you remember? Do you remember it or do you remember what she spoke about or? It was, um, it was a Q and a, it was mm -hmm. definitely, um, it seemed very formulated, like mm -hmm. she was doing the same Q and a circuit. Um, mm -hmm. ironically, it, I had very mixed feelings because I, you could, you could still tell her brilliance. She was actually very likable too. I mean, like in a, like, oh, academic woman, like, like a spitfire sort of way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there was that aspect that was quite enjoyable to listen to her talk. And I, I mm -hmm. know I left wanting more, wanting to hear more of her views and, um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I could tell, and this is ironic because, um, I really hadn't dealt with anyone personally at the time with Alzheimer's or dementia, but I, I could tell that she, um, was clearly struggling with, um, uh, memory. And I would, I would have said she had dementia or Alzheimer's at the time. I know I said it when I, when I left the, uh, um, the talk and so that was kind of sad mm -hmm. feeling like there is this great person in front of you talking about their amazing legacy and knowing that you were not seeing them mm -hmm. at their you know at the height um it's ironic now because you know i take care of my mom who has dementia and um you mm -hmm. know i when I, in my mind's eye, compare it, I, I could see much more of the obvious. But I, I think I saw it even then, um, mm -hmm. when, when she was speaking, um, that she definitely did not have the same faculties as, you know, she did when she was younger. Right. And when I was she? She was on the bench until what year? Two thousand and six. Okay, so she had been off the bench for eight years at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that I don't know when she was officially diagnosed. Um, what I can see from just a quick search that it looks like in 2013, there was like this realization that she was less talkative and a little bit mm -hmm. more forgetful. Um, you know, and again, from a personal point, you know, I, my mom was just diagnosed in the last year and a half to two years. But in hindsight, I know that she probably uh, really had signs uh, five or six years ago, but my dad was ill and had passed from Parkinson's and we just really attributed everything to his illness and the stress of taking care of somebody um, who was so right. sick. Yeah, right, it's so. a lot. And there's a natural aging process for all of us, right? Oh, so. no, no, we're not forgetful at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, speak speak for yourself. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna tell you. I told my siblings this, and I'm just you know from a personal standpoint. I took my mom to the neurologist, and it was during work, and so I'm mm -hmm. at the appointment with her, but I'm on my phone. I'm like <laughs> responding to text messages. My staff is blowing up my phone, and I'm talking, trying to have my mom answer. <laughs> But the doctor says, I'm going to give you three words. And I, you know, in, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you what those three words are. 
And I'm thinking, oh, I might as well see if I can remember the three words. And so she says the three words. And in my head, I like say the three words. And then she starts talking and I start like doing my messages. And, and then like five minutes goes by and she's like, what's the three words? Do you remember? She said to my mom, do you remember the three words that I said that I wanted you to recall? And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, I know two of those three words. Well, I think it's, I think that a lot <laughs> and, of that has to do with multitasking. Yeah. So just so we're clear, orange cloud baseball. I know all of them. Okay, now. Orange cloud baseball. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But it took you, we remember it now. So I knew orange and baseball, the cloud really, but my, but, but, you know, um, you know, I will say the difference is, you know, unfortunately my mom didn't have any of the words, but I walked out of there. I texted my siblings and I was like, I only knew two of the three words. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Two, so two out of three is not bad. Yeah. So getting back, sorry. Dive, yeah. But totally I mean, went I think, down I, a different I, road. I, yeah. About, but hopefully we're going down a total tangent yeah. here. But I think that um, a couple of the things that are important um, is this idea of mentorship. Um, but again, when I was when I was looking at this book, counselors, I was thinking, "Wow, what a neat opportunity for Liz Rado to have done like this book." I wish, you know, maybe she would update it now. Um, but to be able to go around the country and interview women um, attorneys who had been awarded with this this Margaret Brett award, and it kind of made me think about how this was this was pre podcasting, right? And so you you kind of do that now when with your podcast which i love when you're interviewing attorneys um many of whom are women uh, and creating this oral history and i think that's just so great i think it's really wonderful i think it's um i think that's so important to be able to memorialize um these types of interviews whether they're written or whether they're oral but in your case you know the the podcast right. is oral obviously and now video um which is just so wonderful i think it's great right. um and, and, and then that... the, and then the teaching aspect of it right and that's what i tried to do with my nj crew i personally haven't been um continuing that podcast because i'm kind of doing new things now and i i think that podcast served a really great um purpose and had a lot of value and has a lot of value because I did try very hard to interview individuals who are experts in their field on a variety of legal topics, many of which, most of which were criminal, um, and create a very, I tried to be very neutral and very balanced. That was my goal, was to offer um, material that would be an informal lesson or class on a particular topic. And so anybody's listening, I would love to have someone either uh, guest host that and continue that um, to continue that podcast. So this is my invitation to anyone who's listening who has an interest in uh, guest hosting NJ Criminal Podcast. So no pressure though. So no pressure. What, yeah, you're welcome. What, you're welcome to as well. But I so think what, that that idea of teaching, mentorship, sharing, mm -hmm. um, all of that is just really important. Right. And so what I was going to say is, you know, I think there's this perception that women, especially lawyer, women that are lawyers, that we are making up 50% of, you know, 
working as a lawyer and and women are more than 50 percent in law school but we well that's another thing the percentage of women in law school is huge now it's, it, it exceeds correct. men but mm-hmm. we we do exceed men but in the places of i'm gonna say power which is women on the bench at every level women as ceos women as we are still only 33 percent and i think really? that's part of what's um what what is one of the reasons why i still really like to hear and talk to women about their journey is because you know we're still i i said to we had a we had a CLE that I organized. I think you were there, and there were women judges who presented the fact that women are still at the highest we get at any not just lawyers, judges, but CEOs and every women profession. at the bar. Yeah, that was women, great. We should seat, redo that. And uh, women with a seat at the bar, or, or it was something to that effect—a seat at the yeah. bar, which was a women's panel. And it was interesting that to know that we only really still make up 30%. And I sat talking to a judge, male friend who's a judge about it. And that judge said, it's such a weird statistic because when we go to judicial college, it feels like there's more. And then I recently heard a study that says that when women make up 33%, that there's a perception that there's more women than men, when in reality, there's still only 33%. So um you know that's an interesting uh that's interesting that's an interesting study yeah so um you know i just think you know when sandra day o'connor went on the bench she was one of nine you know that that had to be uh overwhelming but she right she did it um and she um she wrote the majority opinion for a lot of very important cases Right. And, and she was a um, pivotal vote on a lot of media. She was the pivotal cases. vote on a lot of cases, right. But that took, just generally speaking, I would imagine, um, being able to analyze the law and come to her, you know, come to a decision that she felt was, was the appropriate one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I get it. So now I'm going to do my nerdy, nerdy, nerdy case law update. Okay. All right. So I... I know that you've been out of criminal law. We're going to go, we're going to be a little bit nerdy. And just to say, was there any decision this year that you took and thought this is going to have major effect in New Jersey on criminal law cases? Yes, no, can't think of one. Or I was so focused on closing my practice this year that I was pretty I, focused on closing my practice. I mean, I, I know there was the, the Olenowski decision, which was a big one that came down and that procedural history. I mean, I was actually going to interview a couple people on NJ criminal podcast when that was pending and it didn't come to fruition. I know you discussed it with an attorney on your podcast and then the decision. I I talked to Chris Baxter about it. It I wasn't uh, quite frankly that surprised with that decision. Yeah, Um, it's, it's sort of a weird, I don't know. I'm not, sometimes I think that the result, like, they know what the result wants to be and they back into the results instead of, you know, which means if you're doing it in reverse, mm-hmm. you're not always following precedents or, um, you right. know, standards that have been set. 
if you if you're doing it from precedence, you then can't mm-hmm. back into it. Like is what well, I would say. But um, sometimes of stereodecisis. <laughs> so it's um, very is very important. But um, yeah, I think that in this particular case that the uh, the jurisprudence was one that came to the conclusion that was desired and the mm-hmm. the fact but i mean what why don't you just for anybody who's listening the holding in the case very briefly was well olenowski was it, about it, it was about drug recognition experts and whether there mm-hmm. was a legitimate science that would make it admissible as an expert witness and uh and and whether it satisfied the rules of evidence on expert witnesses and the and the standard that was used and they really uh sort of backtracked and said you know even though the stand oh they they backtracked and they they re i'm gonna just say they created a new standard to allow expert testimony on drug recognition experts um and uh and so they weren't eat so this is my they backed into the decision because if they use the expert the standard for admitting expert testimony to begin with that was always applicable or had been applicable in New Jersey then drug rec- recognition testimony probably would not have been held admissible in New Jersey and so what they had to do was say well that standard really do- isn't the standard we're going to change the standard in order to make it acceptable. Is that fair to say? It is. I agree with you. Without getting so. too far into it. I mean, I I I um I think that your analysis of how they came to that is accurate. I do. But so the question really becomes now, how long has how long has this case been pending and how long have all of these DWIs with DREs been kicked down the road and how now are, are the municipal court like I, I don't envy municipal court prosecutors um, who have to now um, decide whether or not and how they're going to handle these cases are they all going to go to trial or are they um, going to be resolved because as you know DWIs cannot be negotiated generally speaking well, I think they're going to be resolved. I think most of the cases are not going to go to trial. Um, you know, like many cases, they're going to fall apart for different reasons, which include officers no longer being available, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or um, lots of different reasons that cases right. fall apart. It's not as easy. Um, it's not as easy as. Uh, just saying um, DRE testimony is admissible and therefore those client, those individuals don't have trial issues. They still potentially could have trial issues, you know? Um, and I think for defense uh, experts, it's gonna be beneficial because if you were or are a DRE expert, then you're gonna have a new, mm-hmm. uh, new business, right? Right. And, well, uh, right. There's that. So I think that, um, you know, it's not as simple as this is what was decided and therefore 
DRE experts are admissible. It doesn't right, change. The weight, of the, the weight of the evidence still is going to have to control. How powerful is the evidence? Did they get, you know, did they get a, uh, a blood draw or not? Right. Right. And also, right. So you have a DRE expert and you have no blood draw. I mean, there's every case is going to have a hundred different ways to evaluate it. And the truth is, is that anyone with the DRE case, those cases were like automatically getting postponed. Right. Even if they potentially were resolvable. So Correct. I do not think there's going to be, you know, a hundred you know, whatever the backlog is. I, I don't think, just, just say there's like, what could the backlog be after four to five years? I don't, I don't know. know. I was wondering if anyone knew or if that had been released, that, that number. I, I think there's a lot. I mean, I had several. I had to get um, a couple of my cases reassigned to new attorneys because obviously I wasn't going to be able to see them through. Um, I hung in there for a while, but I, I think there's got to be quite a few. Right. But my point is, is that I don't believe most of those cases are going to be tried. And there's only a handful of cases that go to trial anyway in municipal court, you know. Right. So, um, right. you know, I know we don't plead, negotiate DUIs per se in municipal court, but sometimes the state is going to have to concede they can't prove their, they can't meet their burden. And as a result, you know, the cases are resolved in alternative ways. Right. That's, That's always a nice way of saying that in the end, it is like a plea negotiation. We just call it something different. I know you're like, you're not allowed to say that. I know I'm not allowed to say it. But if the prosecutor is saying, I can't meet my burden of proof, so I have to throw out the DUI, I know that they're putting it on the record and they're making sure that it's clear why they can't meet their burden of proof. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's negotiated down to a lower charge, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's sort of but, like our, you know, we our language in New Jersey is we don't have misdemeanors; we have disorderly persons offenses. And this and the and the two C code says disorderly persons offenses are not crimes. All sounds good, right? But a simple assault in New Jersey is a disorderly persons offense, and it comes up on your background check. And in every other state, it's a misdemeanor. So even though we're saying it's not a misdemeanor, it's the same thing. It walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It's a duck. Right. That's your legal analysis of that. That's my that's my common sense layperson. Exactly. You know. Approach. Well, and that's right. So right, I so, want to ask you a I want to ask you a question. I want to unless you're are you have anything else you want to say about the Olenowski? Not Olenowski. I do. I am going to say. I'm just going to say it out loud. But I cannot have an intelligent conversation about it at this point in time. And the reason why is because um, it's the end of the year and I still haven't read it. But um, you know that the DUI statute that allowed for the interlock device was set to expire at the end of the year if it was not uh, re-signed into law, reenacted. It was only for the last few years. It had an expiration date. It's my understanding on December 21st, Murphy, Governor Murphy signed into law uh, legislation that amends 39450 and makes significant changes to the DUI. Um, statute sentencing impact. I unfortunately did not have time to look at the when language. When was that signed? December twenty first. Okay, I didn't realize that. I'll, we can, I can look at that. We can talk about that another time if you'd like. Yeah. But that's definitely something to um, 
to look into? When is, is it effective as of when? I think it's effective starting on January 1st because, and any DUIs after January 1st because- You got three days then. Because <laughs> the, way the, the way the statute was to expire was if nothing was enacted, the old DUI statute would have taken, went into effect again starting January 1st. But again, I did not read, I did not do the deep dive. I know, and I know what I just told you. And that's like a very, it's like a cliffhanger for the next time. We it chat. is. It's very, it's very good though. But that's part of the, part of being a good lawyer is um, staying current on legislative changes and mm -hmm. tracking new legislation. And I think that uh, we should have another discussion once we've both had a chance to read and digest Maybe we'll that do it on a New Jersey criminal podcast. We could. That'd be great. That'd be, I would do that. All right. What was your question? Not to. So I, I wanted to kind of round out our discussion. We talked about my practice closing um, and that change. Your practice is expanding. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that was one of those professional goals of the year that I have to say. I'm yeah. Really... So what, what changes? What changes are you? Would you like to uh, talk about, if any, uh, with your practice, which is so, starting its what, sixth year now, seventh year? No, it's no, I'm I'm a year behind you. I was a year behind you because I was a partner at another law firm. Right, but now you're gonna so, be ahead. <laughs> but now I'll be ahead. So February right. 16th will be five full years. Um, okay. And um, I have been looking to hire an associate for a long time. And, um, you know, I'm a small firm and I know that it's important for me to hire someone that I can trust who has experience. I love mentoring, but I just wanted to make sure that they were going to be the right fit. And I'm happy, knock on wood, uh, hired somebody in September, started full time in September. Her name is Marissa Kettis. Um, she's amazing. She uh, was an attorney who did uh, insurance defense and then um, had a kid. She worked, I believe, after her first and then had some uh, high-risk pregnancies and has been home for about eight years or so and was returning back to work. And uh, so she, we met in May. She kind of started uh, coming into the office in August to get a feel and, and worked full-time after Labor Day when the kids went back to school. And uh, so she's been great. Um, Excellent. Had, well, congratulations. Thank you. And I will say that in September, I had such a crushing weight of stress of being so behind on cases and briefs and trials and appeals. And um, I'm happy to say that we, we have done so much work together. We're pretty much caught up on everything. There's nothing that's waiting to be filed anymore, just new cases coming in. And she's been- And you can better serve your clients. Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. So with the exception of your son, who I know has interned with you and done some, some part-time work with you, your entire practice is comprised of female employees. It is. Was that intentional or is that just how- It's not intentional. It I mean, I'm happy to hire anyone who's competent anyone who can advocate zealously. Um, you know, uh, prior to Marissa, about a year and a half, two years ago, I tried to woo um, a former prosecutor uh, 
to come work for me. He was in private practice and um, it, the cards just didn't line up right for the timing of it. Um, so I will say that I think that, um, you know, my paralegal and my legal assistant, both are young women straight out of college. So there's a lot of mentoring going on with that. Um, mm -hmm. And then this school year, I had a Stockton student, young woman who reached reached out to me and asked to intern at my office for credit at Stockton. So that was nice and, and mm -hmm. made that connection. Um, yeah, it's not by design, but I mean, I, I'm a woman owned business. Um, I have, you know, definite um, a way of running things that might be different than um, a traditional law firm. So maybe it just works out better that the people that are gravitating to uh, apply for my job happen to be women, you know? Well, congratulations. So that's a very exciting news. And that's, that's, yes. I think it's fantastic. It's admirable that within five years you've built up this practice and have now expanded with, you know, multiple employees and a new associate. I think it's really admirable. So yes. congratulations. And I am going to, I'm going to shout out to my, my one employee who is, is a male, which is my son. Um, he, um, he does a lot of the uh, reviewing of the police videos. He has found cut videos. He's found altered, mm -hmm. um, you know, tech stuff that I probably would have overlooked. And he's done some amazing work. And I love the fact that um, he's just comfortable in the office. And even when I make a comment of a woman law firm, he's like proudly there saying, and a man, and you know, mm -hmm. it's not a fully woman run, you know, business. Right. And yet still right. very comfortable around, I mean, you were at our yeah. holiday party. You could see that um, he respected and loved being a part of the firm. Yeah, he's yeah. a great, great asset. I mean, we've talked about that too, the reviewing discovery thoroughly. Um, sounds pretty basic. Uh, however, um, I think that unfortunately, a lot of people don't spend that time taking that dive into the details. And that goes back to really, and I think that goes for prosecutors, defense attorneys, and it goes really for any type of law. Diving down deep into the nuances of your case is just so incredibly important. And the issues that you're looking at, it's, it can't be overstated enough. Right. But there's just, with the body cams now, there's just hours and hours. So I really- Being able to I don't, I, don't, I don't miss that. If I don't ever have to open up another body cam, I'll be thrilled. But I was going to say, I don't really understand how people do it without a staff. Like, no, I don't either. I, I, I really don't have the time, even if I wanted to watch every second of every video. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the time to do that. So, right. Um, right. so would you ever expand into a different area of law or are you... Um, or are you not ready to make that decision right now? You know, this is about that comfort, you know, of, of and you said it, like you okay. making the decision to pivot and to leave the practice. Um, mm -hmm. I know you, you had an accounting background and a business background, but you did criminal defense work for such a large majority of your career. I've only done criminal defense work or taught criminal law. 
So mm-hmm. um, I do, I have a lot of people come up to me and ask me to do different areas. And mm-hmm. um, it's that I, there's two things. I love that I'm an expert in one specific area. I get calls from lots of people in New Jersey to ask about this area of law. And it's nice to be an expert in a specific area. Mm-hmm. But I also don't like not knowing. And like that. Right. No, I cannot I can appreciate that. You do see some small practitioners or sole practitioners, I should say, um, teaming up with someone else with a book of business that's different from their own. That That's something that you see often. And then you can have a full service practice. But that wouldn't right. be what you do. You ship them to your partner. So that's so always what, an option. I think that would be. Yes. Maybe something to consider. I think it's something I, I think that I would always be interested from a business perspective if they're only partners and name only and not in books and business. So that mm-hmm. would be one thing. I do have a lot of civil practitioners in the area that I refer cases to and they refer cases to me. Same with workman's mm-hmm. comp, same with, you know, so I think it's the same idea. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know how you split the business up from having, you know, two distinct practices and two distinct books of business than joining in together. And um, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying agreement. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that for me, um, I sort of the things that I like about running my business. I'm not opposed to like suggestions and insights and people saying better ways to do it, but um, I'm not sure right now I would want to take on a whole different area of law with a whole different partner with regards to that. You know, um, I would look forward to having an attorney, you know, potentially come in and, and helping with criminal who had an expertise in family per se. Cause, right. You know, I, I, think I was there's an say overlapping that. in there. Or DCPMP because there's an overlapping in there, um, but I don't, you know, I mean, I've been called to take, you know, uh, different contracts that I'm like, thank you, you know, it's an honor when people are like, we want you to handle it. We know you're a good attorney, but you know, it's not really my my interest. So I did I did write goals down for 2024. What are your um, goals? No, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask your goals first. Do you have goals? Uh, you have specific goals. We've talked a few things I, I, about I have what we'd specific, like to do together. Yeah, I have some. Well, I mean, my personal specific goals, or just kind of general. Whatever you want to share, Meg. Um, well, I mean, some just things that I'm going to do. I think would be helpful for me is I I would like to um, reactivate my Pennsylvania law license, which I went inactive for a number of years because I wasn't in Pennsylvania. Um, I may reactivate my CPA license. Um, I am uh, currently studying for something called the CPCU, which is an insurance designation that I think mm-hmm. would be helpful for me to to learn. You know, I think it's really important, um, kind of going back to what we said before, I think it's really important to, to learn things from kind of the ground up. And I, I think that makes you a better um, employee, a better lawyer. Um, and I, I think it goes a long way. Um, a better boss, a better manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And that's kind of a whole other conversation I think we could have. Um, I, I recall years ago when Matt Weintraub joined the prosecutor's office in Cape May County, 
Um, he had handled death penalty cases and death penalty cases in Pennsylvania, but had not handled any type of prosecution in New Jersey. And he joined the office and very willingly, we threw him in grand jury, which is, you know, very basic. And he right. very willingly jumped in and learned everything from the ground up. And I really think that is so important when you are um, at a new um, role or a new organization. So, so there's that. I'm going to learn um, to hopefully get that designation or that certification this year. Um, and um, other than that, um, I think that it would be uh, great for uh, us to think of a way, you know, talking about the importance of learning and mentoring and teaching. Um, we had discussed kind of, it's been almost like over a year now, a year and a half ago, um, the idea of um, teaching and um, putting on CLEs. And that got, kind of, I think, got put on hold probably because of me and my changes that I've been Oh, I've um, been teaching with. under our company name. You right, know I know that, you right? have. I, so, I have. So I so, think we've been. I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's important though to um, to continue. I think as a lawyer, um, teaching keeps you fresh, and it makes you a better lawyer. And I think it's uh, a benefit to others, and it gives you opportunities to mentor other attorneys. And so that's something I would like to continue to do. So there are my goals. That's that's going to keep me busy for. So I, I do have to tell you something. I, I want to jump on the relicense, getting your bar, your Pennsylvania bar license back in good standing, and your CPA yeah. license back in good standing. All licenses that you earned, you right. I earned for. them, and I and I didn't keep them up for really cost reasons, and I didn't need them. But I, I think that they so, they they're beneficial designations that I that I right. did work very hard to get. And so it basically I'm going to I'm going to share with you because I want everyone to hear this. I did that too when I was a stay-at-home mom. I went inactive in PA. In Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then when I went back to work, in the end, you have to pay, like, all the years you didn't pay. And at the time, and I had little kids, and, and that $150 or $200 seemed like so much money at the time. And I- I, I agree. What, what I would say is that keep paying the license. I agree, 100%. And, and That's that, very good advice. And that um, in the end, those years that I didn't pay, there was no benefit because I had to get it reinstated. And so I don't really practice in Pennsylvania anymore. You know, I worked in PA as an attorney in Philly. Um, and I, when I came back working as an attorney full-time, I initially took some cases in Pennsylvania once I was back in good standing. I don't really use it. I refer my cases out, but I think it's important to have and I don't think the years that I didn't pay for it made a difference in, in, in my life. I thought I think it was a mistake in hindsight. So, um, and you're sort of saying the same thing that I, I did it for financial it. reasons, and yeah. I shouldn't have really let it go. So, my two cents to young attorneys is: even if you don't think you're gonna, you earned it, you worked for it, pay the fees. Or, I agree. And, you know. you know, it's a little trickier for me, too. And maybe we can have a, another conversation. This might be good information for other people once I figure out what I need to do. Um, but because I've been uh, inactive, oh, it's retired, inactive. I might be retired. I, I don't even know what the lingo is. In Pennsylvania for more than three years, 
there is a process like I actually have to make an application, a motion to the um, to the courts. It, it's it's much more complicated now. I have to I think get like a um, a Pennsylvania attorney to kind of be involved and you know. So I mean it's it's certainly doable. I I would I'm going to knock on wood. I don't think there should be any bars to it. Right, but you granted, it's but now it's not, more it's complicated. Now. It's more complicated. Right. Right. Yeah. So and that's there's actually I, attorneys that help you do it. I mean, I, I think I should be able to figure it out on my own. But so that's another reason, because as time goes on, in addition to all the back CLEs and the cost, yeah. there's you know, they want to make sure that. You know who you are, there's that all of that um, to, to confirm that you're still in good standing and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Um, that's so another that, reason. I agree. That's very good advice. Yeah. So again, just adding to it, because I think it's okay. You know, I think I would say people don't need to make the same mistakes that uh, we might have made along the way for the reasons yeah. that we made them. That's um, how you learn. So I was teaching a seminar, the Meadowlands uh, Criminal Law Update this year, and I'm prepping and I'm getting my PowerPoints together. And this has to do with my goals for next year. and. Uh, my legal assistant, who happens to be my daughter, says to me, you need to say no. You need to start saying no. You have too much on your plate. You're too busy. And, and she's right. I, I do. And I, I, I do volunteer for things, a lot of things. But in this context, when she said, you, why are you teaching? Why are you driving two hours to teach? Just say no next time. Just um, say no. And and it and it's true. I mean, like, you know, I said I, no to that CLA. You did, but here's the thing. My response to her, and I wrote it down afterwards, was, "I love teaching, and out of all the different things that I do agree to participate in, this is one that I enjoy. That I like having the conversations. I love being in a room with other attorneys." and discussing the nuances of the case, even if we're not agreeing with the end results, I like the intellectual discourse that comes from it. And, and so I said, you Do are I hear right. a future law professor? <laughs> well, that's a different story on a different day. <laughs> but what I said to Ellie was, you're right about saying no to different things. It's figuring out what the no is. It's, it's not necessarily teaching, it might be other things that I'm asked to do, but I love to teach. And I wrote in my little journal, I wrote like 2024, and I said, um, uh, re-energize, re reinvigorate M2 Legal Training, which is uh, our uh, CLE uh, company, which is M Squared Legal Training. If, if, if you haven't figured it out and you're listening, it's uh, Meg and Melissa the double M's legal training. And I know we have enough CLEs to officially become certified as a CLE provider. And, um, you know, and I think I, you know, I used to teach at Rowan and I've taught at Delaware Law School. And I think um, not in the spring, but in the next, you know, upcoming year mm -hmm. to reach out and see if that's a possibility mm -hmm. as well. I would love yeah. to do that. And I think, you know, and you, you already do a lot of pro bono work. I mean, I would even be willing to do this as a, you know, um, I don't want to speak for both of us, but teaching 
and, and doing it pro bono. I think that's a really nice service. And that's what the law is all about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Couldn't say it better myself. So, um, so I know that you will get all your certifications and your ducks in a row. And then our last big thing, which is not really a goal, but something we're both doing in 2024, which is just fun. Is oh, the half yeah, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> we're doing, but we're not really doing it together. Right. We're doing it separately is, uh, is the, the half, half marathon, marathon That's right. in, in Disney. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, In just uh, a few short months. So I better get my running shoes on. I think it's eight weeks. No pressure. With our daughters. Is your daughter going to do it? This is like. Oh, my daughter is going to Disney and she is walking, jogging, but I, I don't know if she's going to do it. I, I wanted to she do it should. because. This is, my daughter and I have done it for several years and it's a really fun thing to do together. She doesn't yes. have to run the thing. So we did a 5K. I don't know if you heard this. We did a 5K because she's like, I don't think I can do a half marathon. And, and the truth is, we're in a very different place. I could run a half marathon tomorrow. Like, I run all the time. So doing a half marathon to me is not as hard for someone as, who hasn't really run. So we did a 5K in December together. And How did it go? Well, she said, you, you have a chance of winning the, the 5K. You go out and run it, and I'll walk it, and then you can come back for me. And so that's what I did. I, I did not win the 5K, by the way. Um, so um, so I ran it, and then I came, I finished it, and then I went back <laughs> and then jogged back to her and then finished it again with her. So, with her. So well, that was good for um, me to do that. And she did, she, she has mixed feelings because I think she's really happy that she did it. But then she also was like, oh my God, that was so, so. Well, yeah. there's nothing more important than spending time with your daughter, however that is. Yeah. And well, so moms and daughters time is really important. We'll uh, have so, fine yeah, in Disney mind. no matter what, you know? Exactly. So. Well, you, you, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great time. So we'll have to talk more about that because uh, I better get out there and start practicing or training you're fine. you're fine well meg happy new year i think we're done with the all the other holidays um happy I know new we're year. in the middle of Kwanzaa, but happy new year and um i look forward to us uh moving forward with our uh, m squared legal training and Me too. um and it's always i just i can talk to you forever about a hundred zillion different things so as always i know well we we should uh plan another time to talk and, and the next time we will uh, get all nerdy and maybe talk about the new legislation uh, that was just signed regarding DWIs. I'll be happy to review that and have a talk with you about that. I'll send you the email so you can go all nerd out on it and then we can we can talk about whether there's any huge changes or not. I, I assume there's going to be changes from what I have been reading. I just Okay. Uh, yeah, I I'm not familiar with it, so let's do it. All right. Nice should talk. We, should we say happy holidays to Tom? Should we invite our happy producer? Happy holidays, back? Tom. He's probably not even listening. <laughs> he's listening. I know he's listening. Well, Melissa was correct. I was listening. And my mic and camera don't appear to the audience, so I had to cut it off there before I could wish you and yours a happy new year from the mighty Merp 
podcast. On behalf of Melissa and Meg, we hope to see you in the new year.